Is everybody ready for Christmas? Yeah, two shopping days left. And so I hope everybody's done what they needed to do. Uh, otherwise, you're going to end up getting your gift at Turkey Hill from the counter, which is never good. And uh, we're going through your basement and finding some things. This past summer, I cleaned out our basement and, and I found, believe it or not, we've only been in this house three years and the basement's full already. How does that happen? I think elves bring things and put them in the basement. But uh, as I was going through, I found all sorts of things Terry had bought over the years for herself um, from Disney and different things. And, and I really didn't think clearly enough. If I was thinking clearly enough, I would have wrapped those things up. <laughs> And, and use them for Christmas because I knew they were good gifts for her. And, and you know, sometimes that's, the, that's where we end up. We end up struggling to find a gift, so we re-gift something. And uh, I, I guess, I don't know if, if the, the, the sink that's in the, the, the foyer space, the, uh, that, that may be something some of you need. And uh, if you have not got anything, your wife, if you've not got your wife a Christmas present, we will we'll gladly sell you that um, that sink that we took out, and uh, you can you can gift that. But but truly, regifting and this series is called re regift, uh, regifted. As we as we think about that the concept of regifting, it's it's a negative thing, uh, or at least we see that as a negative thing. Uh, but but ultimately, the the best gifts that we receive are the gifts that enable us to give back to others. Uh, the, the, the best gifts are things that allow us to share with other folks. I, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit past gifts. And, you know, when you, when you have to get, give lists for gifts and stuff, um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of interest in that stuff, frankly, anymore, unless it's a gift that allows me, and, and I don't think I'm special, I think I'm just this grumpy old guy, that that's kind of how we think, uh, that, that unless the gift allows me to do something more with my family, for my family, for the people I love, uh, I don't need a whole lot of more stuff to put in my basement. And so uh, I, the best gifts you get are are those gifts that allow you to share your life and share your, your love and share yourself with others. And as I think about Christmas time, Christmas is a time when we celebrate the gift of Jesus. And this gift of Jesus is a gift that allows us to share with others and experience God in a fresh and a new way. And I hope we don't take that for granted. I, I hope we're not so accustomed to, to what God has done through Jesus <laughs> that in the church that we just take for granted, uh, that we can gather in this place and we can have fresh relationship with God and we can have real relationship with each others, with each other because of what God has done through Jesus. And John 3:16 through 17 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Uh, that, that's still one of the best scriptures that, that we can spend time in and focus on. And as I think about that scripture, I think about why Jesus was given. And this isn't the message, but just, just as we think of this gift, Jesus was given because God loves us. <laughs> Jesus was given to restore our relationship with God. And Jesus was given to change our relationships with others. 
That, that, that's somehow in this gift that, that God has given us in Jesus Christ, it restores this vertical relationship and it gives us hope in these horizontal relationships all around us. And if there's ever a time in our world that we need a fresh glimpse, a fresh way of relationship with one another, I believe it's in this age. We, we really need to grab hold of what God wants to do through his people and, and live in a different way. And we've been using as our text this Old Testament text uh, out of Micah. And it's God's desire for his people. Uh, beginning in verse 6, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so God is saying through, through the prophet Micah, listen, we, we get caught up in all these religious activities. We, we get caught up in the sacrificial system. We get caught up in worship services. We, we get caught up in what we do in the church building. We get caught up in what we do when we gather. But, but what have I asked of you? It, it's more than going through the spiritual motions. It's more than just religious activity. It's more than all of these things. But it's do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Can you say it with me? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. In Micah, it says, God, I have told you Old man, what is good? And with Jesus, God has shown us that, that, that Jesus was not just born and then he died, but Jesus lived a life that demonstrated Micah 6a. He, he demonstrated a life that produced justice. He demonstrated a life where kindness was pursued. And he demonstrated a life where he walked humbly with his father. You know, Jesus came as this gift of God, and he came as this gift of God that is meant to enliven us so that we can continue the gift. In John 3, 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. I am convinced that God continues to want to give his people that, that, that this love of God is embodied in flesh and it's embodied in our flesh that as the Holy Spirit fills us and sends us, God continues John 3.16 by demonstrating His love for this world, His care for this world through you and I. Uh, that, that, that the Word became flesh in Jesus Christ and I truly believe that God wants the Word to become flesh in our lives as well. And so we've been working through this as, as we think about re-gifting John 3.16, as we think about re-gifting this gift of God, this, as we think about re-gifting what Jesus has done and in the context of, of Micah 6.8, and we, we've talked about 
doing justice, and, 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 and I've been focusing on this series, not on the second word, but the first word, the do justice, the produce, what will my life produce? Uh, doing nothing produces nothing. Doing nothing produces nothing. And Jesus, with his life, produced justice. And we talk about justice, we're talking about this redemptive justice where he lifted people. He lifted you and I. Jesus lived a life that produced justice, and we're called to do the same thing. And I don't believe that just organically happens. I don't believe that you just accidentally produce justice with your life. That, that of these three things, the one that, is, that, that you need to be most intentional about is this producing justice. That, that we have to be intentional. To, to produce justice, we must set habits and routines that place us in situations where we can lift others. And so we serve at the Hope Center. We, we, we serve at homeless shelters. We, we intentionally place ourselves in positions where we are required to get outside of our comfort zone, uh, our easy chair, and help other people. We support kids through World Vision or, or other organizations, but we do something. We're intentional. We talked about loving kindness. What, what will I pursue in life? And, and Jesus pursued kindness. Uh, of these three things, I believe this is one that, that, that can be an attitude that you have. That, that in, the, in the course of your life, just in your day-to-day, you can pursue kindness. They, 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 you can make that the first priority of your life. And if you make it the first priority of your life, you can change your day-to-day -day relationships, your day-to-day -day opportunities. Pursuing kindness is about being aware and taking advantage of opportunities. And, and i got to be honest, as I think about, you know, justice is a big word. Kindness it almost sounds like something lesser. But the truth is, kindness is countercultural. It is. The, the, the ideal of being kind and considerate to other people, to, to love and be kind like God is kind, is countercultural. And then walk humbly with your God. That's what we're going to deal with primarily today, and it's who sets the pace of my life. When we think about Jesus, God set the pace of his life. That, that what Jesus did and the way Jesus lived and how Jesus moved among people, he, he was highly aware. He was, he was linked in with his father to the extent that his father could direct him to the opportunities and, and the, the ways that God wanted him to move. Jesus would say things like, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. <laughs> you know, it, it's, I'm not here to, to do my own business. I am here to do the Father's business. I, I am here to please my heavenly Father. <laughs> and in the course of Jesus' life, there is a, an intimacy that is demonstrated in his relationship with his heavenly father. It's what makes the cross so tragic 
when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that this intimacy that he once enjoyed on this moment in the cross, Jesus no longer senses. And he was driven not to create his own pace, but to walk with his Father. And walk in a manner in which he could sense the opportunities the Father had led him to. That he could sense the Father's will in a circumstance. You know, there's, there's a ton of stories that, that we, could, we could go through that demonstrates this. I love the Emmaus Road experience. You know, Jesus has been crucified. He, he's been raised from the dead. And he takes the afternoon. <laughs> There's a lot of things he could be doing, right? He takes the afternoon to walk with these two guys to Emmaus and have a conversation with them. He, he takes the time to sit down at a table with them and break bread. <laughs> we, we talked about last week Zacchaeus. That Jesus, on his way to the cross, took the time to be with Zacchaeus, to eat at his home. Story after story of Jesus being available for others and walking with God, slowly walking. Today I'm going to read from John 4. And it's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And uh, we, we've heard it. And I, you know, we're not going to exegete the passage and break down all the points you can pull from it. But, but, but what I want you to do is just kind of pay attention to Jesus in this narrative. The, the, the way Jesus responds, uh, the, the, the way Jesus moves through the conversation, the, the, the steadiness, the slowness, the consistency of Jesus... Now we're reading now the New Living Translation because it's it, it's it's more it's it's easier to read, easier to hear. Uh, you know, it's a paraphrase. Beginning in verse one, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sikar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And beside, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
Please, sir, the woman said. Give me this water, that, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you're already married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, but we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. <laughs> you know, the, the beauty of that little engagement with this Samaritan woman. And we all know all the barriers and, and, and we see all the barriers that she raises. You know, that well, why are you talking to me? Let, let's turn this into a religious conversation. Let, let's turn this into a theological debate. And Jesus very patiently, very kindly, every time turns the conversation back to there's something you need and there's something I have to offer. Until at the end, and what Jesus doesn't do very often, Jesus says, I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the Messiah. You know, there were people much more worthy who came to Jesus. They didn't fully disclose who he was. And yet with this Samaritan woman, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Well, what I love about Jesus' engagement with people is how often he listens. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have her approach him and just rush her through a sinner's prayer. He, he doesn't rush anything. Jesus waits for her to respond over and over again. Reminds me of James. James says, be slow to speak and quick to hear. <laughs> that, that it makes me think that there's something powerful in this, in listening, in conversation. Uh, Paul Tellick says that, that listening is the nature of love. That, that somehow when we listen, we're demonstrating God's love. And, and, and Jesus understood this. Jesus listened as I, as I say that I, I think about this ideal of prayer and prayer not being just God speaking to us but us speaking to God and this, this, this opportunity this invitation to speak to God to, to, to give him our request to tell him what he already knows is an aspect of his love and you see this in the ministry of Jesus. That, that Jesus is just there waiting for the opportunity. 
last week we, we talked about Matthew and, and, and Matthew, remember we got into that deep word, Greek word sit and what did that word mean? He was sitting. Now it's reversed. It's Jesus that's sitting. He's not pursuing. He's not chasing her down. But Jesus is sitting, waiting for the opportunity of the Father. He didn't didn't go in the village and knock on doors. He didn't knock anyone over. He just sat down and waited for the Father's opportunity. And this is in the context that he engages the woman. What's interesting to me is this text begins all about production. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more than John. And Jesus really wasn't baptizing anyone. And so in the context of production and what are you doing and what difference are you making, Jesus sits down and waits. Jesus intentionally made himself available for the Father's opportunities, including this opportunity. And so that leads me to the question for today. Who or what sets the pace of your life? Who sets the pace of your life? What what drives you? Is it production? Is it friendships? Is it family? Is 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 it work? Is it school? Who sets the pace of your life? You know, I've noticed this. The, the speed of the Christmas season has changed for me over the years. <laughs> when I was a kid and I wasn't responsible for anything and all I had to do was open presents other people were buying for me, it took forever to get from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Can I get an amen from those of you who are waiting to open your presents? So come on, kids. I mean, it takes, it would be like months before you got to open the presents. Now, it seems like last week it was Thanksgiving. And I don't think we're ready yet. It's go, 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 go. Anybody else feel like that? Hey man, there's one party after another, there's one obligation after another, and the weeks just fly by because they're filled. You know, life has a way of squeezing us, taking our attention. The the, the workplace has, has a way of squeezing out all the opportunities that God wants to place in your life. You know, this week, and really this month, the the temptation will be to fly from one obligation to the next. And the invitation is to take a deep breath. (laughs) To experience fully relationship with your Heavenly Father. But this is the goodness of our God. Not just to experience the goodness of the relationship with him but to experience the goodness of the relationships around you.
that, that this God who is defined by love invites us to fully be engaged, to fully love those closest to us. And it's an invitation to something beautiful and good. And yet we're pressed and we're pushed and we're pulled. See, walking humbly with God is an invitation to allow God to set the pace of your life. Can, can I be honest? That's a good question, isn't it? We all should ask ourselves that. That was the old joke. You know how you could tell a lawyer was lying? Their lips were moving. You can fill any politician, whatever. I can't tell the truth. This has been a hard series for me. It's been uncomfortable. Can I be honest enough to say this? As a preacher, it's a, I, I, I love it when God gives me sermons that are for other people. <laughs> Don't you love it when God gives you a word for your neighbor or your spouse, but not for you? Whew. But this one's been about me. I'm hoping you're getting some help watching me struggle through this. Because the truth is, God fulfills His promises through His people. He does. God's intention is to use you and to use me to fulfill His promises. And when we're too busy and we're too caught up in production, and we're too caught up in obligations, and we're too caught up in this and that, we limit God's ability to use us because we're not even aware of the opportunities He's placed in our life. Can, can we say that phrase again? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Can, can, can I be honest enough to tell you that I talk about justice more than I do justice? I talk about it more than I produce it. And, and the scripture doesn't say, hey, root for justice, think justice is better. It doesn't say, hey, you, you need to be somebody that preaches about this. You, you need to give people hands when they... The scripture says with your life... Produce redemptive justice. Lift those who need lifted. You know, I like kindness. I do. Do I pursue it? Is that the most important thing in every opportunity? Can, can, can I be honest enough to say sometimes I don't think it is? That, that I'm challenged by this ideal of pursuing kindness in every opportunity. So last night, Terry and I went to um, a local restaurant. And um, it, it, it was um, a place that had like a, a bar in there too. 
And, and so one of the things that always, we didn't go to the bar, so let's not, okay, we went to a restaurant, there's a bar there. And one of my pet peeves is when you get, you know, your, your waiter or your waitress is the bartender, right? Because yeah. you know, man, if anything happens, and, and so there was like, I don't know, there, there was hardly anybody in there. Waiter came over, real bartender came over, hey, I'm going to take your order, took our order, and then they had a group come in that was pub hopping. I mean, like 40 people. And there's my waiter <laughs> that was pretty preoccupied. Can I be honest enough to say, in that circumstance, it was very difficult for me to pursue kindness. And before you look too judgmental at me, some of you have been in the same situations and have felt the same way. But, but as I read the scripture, I don't read, pursue kindness when things are going your way. Pursue kindness when you really like the other person. Pursue kindness when it really doesn't matter. This is a command to pursue kindness in every circumstance we find ourselves in. <laughs> Walk humbly with your God. And see, I think that's the problem for me. That, that, that oftentimes, it's not that I don't love God, it's not that I'm being disobedient to God, it, it, it's that sometimes I get so caught up in the pace and what I want to accomplish that I fail to stop. Anybody else there? That, that, that it's the first two, this produced justice, this loving kindness, all comes back to my willingness to walk to walk, to walk humbly with my God, to allow him to set the pace, to it not be about my agenda, my way, what I want to produce, what I want to do, but what about God, but, but about what God wants to do through and in me. So I'm challenged. And it makes me wonder. Because what I found about God is God doesn't challenge us just to challenge us. The conviction or whatever you want to call it, that when God moves in our heart and says, hey, I want to see something better from you, it's not just so God can make us feel bad about ourselves, but, but our God convicts us and he challenges us because he's calling us to something bigger and better. And so the challenge for me is in 2020. Yeah, I know, the, the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, um, if, if this is the only change is that I pay more attention to people during Christmas, then whoopee. <laughs> Woo! So what's your 2020 going to look like? Yeah, just about a week left. And, and does it feel weird to anybody else that I'm saying 2020, right? What's your 2020 going to look like? <laughs> Are you going to produce justice? 
Are you going to pursue kindness? Are you going to walk humbly with your God? All heads bowed, all eyes closed. You know what I love about preaching? When I preach, it's not about what I say, but about what the Spirit says through me to you. I know what the Spirit's saying to me, but what is He saying to you?